Here we are now. With the final chapter in our series, Impressions of Grace and Grit. This is chapter 22. This is the end. And this final chapter is titled, For a Radiant Star. And it's been quite a journey. We've been through a lot. And if you've been following along, you know that Treya and Ken have been all over the spectrum of consciousness. Brutal life circumstances with cancer, relationship issues and rebuilding, the perennial philosophy and the world religions. I've been to other cultures. We've explored paradigms. And now it all comes together into the grand finale. And so, Treya has decided she's going to die. And as Ken says, so began the most extraordinary 48 hours of their life together. And you might say, well, how can she decide to die? And why are you saying she's it's a decision? Well, it is a decision for Treya. And at this point, there's no medical reason why she should die at this particular time. The doctors are saying, well, you might actually live a few more months. Granted, your condition will get worse, but you will live. And yet, Treya was not going to die like that. She wasn't going to be in a hospital with tubes coming out of her, on life support, all drugged up with her family standing around and not knowing what to do or what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. No, she was going to save everyone the trouble of that by taking the initiative. And when you have a certain mastery over yourself and a certain set of conditions, you can choose to die. And if you go into it on your own terms, well then... You navigate that process with all the insights and the self-knowledge and the wisdom and the consciousness that you've learnt over the course of your life. And that's what's Treya, that's what Treya is doing. And she doesn't want to be sitting around with all these things in her like life support and having her family worry about her. Now, for some families or some family members, when they have them die, they say, well, hold on for as long as you can. Hold on. Take another deep breath. Even when the family member is in a coma and it doesn't really mean anything to them. And that can be very unhelpful. It can be very painful. And the whole idea of, oh, live as long as you can, well, that completely neglects the condition of life that the person is in. Completely neglects their ability to go through the process with awareness 
to go through the process on their own terms, with their own wisdom. So Treya has decided to die. And Ken carries her upstairs and puts her in her bed, which will be her final resting place. And she is happy. She's almost ecstatic. And she keeps saying, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And even Ken starts to feel, wow, there's so much joy emanating from this woman. There's so much, somehow so much life. And she keeps saying, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And as she sat there, well, she glowed. And right in front of Ken's eyes, her body begins to change. And within one hour, it looked as though she'd lost 10 pounds. And her body was acquiescing to her will. And still she's ecstatic. And she's sharing in joy. And Ken and Treya, well, they talk at length about their love for each other. And it does sound corny at times, but that's the nature of love. That's the nature of talking about love. When you, when you see it from the outside, well, it looks corny. But when you see it from the inside, it doesn't matter that it's corny. And Ken says, well, it was a love that had made them both stronger and better and wiser. And decades of growth has gone into their care for each other. So just these five years of life together has been worth many more years of life because of how much they've learnt from each other and how intense it would have intense it was for them. And Ken explains that during the last two weeks into the build up of this moment, Treya had always been bringing up again and again what Ken had said to her on their wedding day five years earlier. And what he'd done is he'd whispered in her ear, where have you been? I've been searching for you for lifetimes. I finally found you. I had to slay dragons to find you. And if anything happens, I will find you again. And she keeps saying, you promise? You promise? And he says, yes, I promise. And the family arrives and each member has a chance to have a last open talk with Treya while she's there in her bed and it's around after that those some of those conversations have finished up that people are really starting to get a sense that something extraordinary is happening in this house and it's really, I don't really know. I mean, I've had experiences such as this myself, but not in the, in the context of having someone die. And I can understand what, there's no real word for it. There's no real way to describe it. 
And essentially, if you, I mean, how do, how can we look at this? Like, look at look at the look at the empirical situation. Like, if we just take it as a whole, cold hard facts sort of situation, you're what have we got? We've got a house, and we've got a person in there who is about to die. Now, that person has a partner who is deeply connected to them, and everyone else in the house also has a relationship to this person. And they all know, they all know, really, that, well, she is going to die. It is coming. And that creates a certain energy, creates a certain spooky atmosphere of, Something is going on. Something is transpiring. And personally, I've had experiences like this where time seems to warp and relationships really go into a sort of overdrive. And the things you say and the certain actions that you do and the the coming moments become increasingly significant and heavier and heavier, and there's just a thickness all around. And that's what's starting to happen. And Ken says, well, the atmosphere was almost hallucinogenic. And some hours pass, and Ken reads to her, certain religious phrases from her favorite texts. And she turns to him again and says very clearly, you'll come and find me? And he says, I promise. And then she says, then it's time to go. She gestures to Ken to come close and she whispers to him, you're the greatest man I've ever known. You're the greatest man I've ever known, my champion. And Ken realizes that A universe that had produced Treya was a sacred universe. He now believed that God exists because of her. And it's at this point Ken is starting to make the connection between his personal relationship with Treya and his spiritual quest to dissolve into the ultimate, to dissolve into the true self. And the wind begins to blow, and it whips up quite a storm. And their ordinarily rock-solid house actually starts shaking and rattling in gale-force winds. And Ken sort of thinks, well, it's windy, I suppose. What a coincidence. And yet the rattling and the shaking really added something to 
the atmosphere of the room and what was happening there. And some hours pass and someone comes over from the hospital. And at this point, Treya has had her eyes closed and not spoken to anyone for some time. And many people were wondering if, well, maybe she's already died. Maybe she's actually on her way out. Maybe she's unconscious and she's in the halfway halfway world. And this doctor lady comes along, or this nurse comes along, and, uh, well, they're trained to assume that the person who is dying can still hear you right up until the point of death and even afterwards. So this person is, well, respectful to Treya, and she says, Treya, is it all right with you if I take your blood pressure? And no one actually thought Treya would answer, but at that point... Treya turns her head and says, Sure. And from that point on, they knew that Treya was actually right there, fully conscious, eyes closed, not talking, but totally alert. And the hours wear on, And the wind continued rattling the house and contributing to the eerie atmosphere. And for hours, Ken holds Treya's hand and keeps whispering in her ear, Treya, you can go now. Everything here is complete and finished. Just let go. Just let it happen. We're all here, honey. Just let it happen. And as he says this, he sort of stops and then thinks, oh, laughs at himself because he realises Treya has never done anything anybody ever told her to do. So maybe he should just stop telling her that it's okay to go and she'll let go in her own time. Otherwise she'll never let go. So he does. And more hours pass and Ken steps out to get a drink of water and there are still family members in the room and in the house and Ken finds himself in the kitchen and suddenly Tracy is there which I believe is Treya's sister like I get them mixed up is it I don't know if it's Vicky or Treya that is the sister One's a sister and one's a family friend. But anyway, it doesn't matter. A family member, we'll just say that. A family member is there and she says, Hey, Ken, run back. We've got to, you've got to come and see this. Get upstairs immediately. And he runs upstairs and he jumps on the bread and he grabs Trey's hand and the entire family member gather around all of the family members gather around. And at this point, Treya opens her eyes. And she looks very softly at each person right in the eyes, one at a time, 
all around the room. And then she came to make eye contact with Ken, closed her eyes, and stopped breathing. It had finally happened, and Ken cannot stop shaking, and he whispers a few key phrases from the Book of the Dead, recognize the clear light as your own primordial mind, recognize you are now one with enlightened spirit. And everybody is crying. And exactly five minutes after her death, someone says, wait, listen to that. And they realize the gale force winds had completely stopped blowing. The atmosphere was completely calm. And after an hour or so, well, everyone moves their way out of the room to let Treya rest in peace. And they manage to compose themselves. And Ken's arranged to have the body undisturbed for at least 24 hours. So there's no rush. And because Treya had been propping herself up for the last day and a half or so, as this process is unfolding, her mouth had hung open for almost a day. So due to this rigor, she had a locked jaw in an open position. And they actually tried to op- they actually tried to close her jaw before they left the room, but it wouldn't shut. So she's got a locked jaw and it's open mouth because she's been breathing out her mouth. And so they all just leave the room. And then about 45 minutes later, Ken goes back into the room only to be met with a stunning vision. Betrayer had closed her mouth. And there appeared instead on her face an extraordinary smile. A smile of utter contentment, peace, fulfillment and release. Nor was it a standard rigor smile. The lines were entirely and totally different. She looked like a beautiful Buddha statue, smiling the smile of complete release. The lines that had been deeply etched on her face, lines of suffering, wrinkles, and lines of any sort, had completely disappeared. Her face was pure, smooth, radiant 
glowing. It was so profound that they were all taken aback. But there she was, smiling, growing, radiant and content. And Kem keeps saying, Wow, look at you, Treya. Honey, just look at you. And that evening, well, each family member took turns to go and say goodbye, to say some last words. And Ken, well, he stayed with her. And he read to her again and again from different passages and different bits of her favourite texts, from religious and spiritual texts. And he also reads from her from the Book of the Dead, of mantras that are to be said as the soul passes. And there was a critical moment at 2am where he gets the distinct feeling in the dark as he's sitting there reading with Treya's body there that there was an audible click And he actually has to duck his head. Whoa, what happened? And upon hearing this, well, he realized that the great liberation or enlightenment had occurred to Treya. She's dissolved cleanly into all space, mixing with the entire universe. And Ken falls asleep, and he has a dream, but it's not exactly a dream. It's more of a simple image. The image is of a raindrop falling into the ocean, thus becoming one with the all. And at first he thought, well, this is Treya. She's become enlightened. Treya was the drop that had fallen and become one with the ocean of enlightenment. That made sense. But then he realized that, well, actually, it's more profound than that. He is the drop, and Treya is the ocean. She had not been released. She was already released. Rather, it was Ken who had been released by the simple virtue of serving her. And Ken reflects, and he says that, well, he doesn't really think that any of us will meet Treya again. I don't think it works that way, he says. It's much too concrete and literal. Rather, his feeling is that every time you and I and anyone who knew her, that every time we act from a position of integrity and honesty, and strength and compassion every time we do that now and forever we unmistakably meet again the mind and soul of Treya and Treya's body is cremated 
and the ashes are brought back and they have a little ceremony and many beautiful things are said by this remarkable about this remarkable woman and the people that knew her and as the days go on well letters start to come to ken of condolences and also well there are letters describing certain experiences and there are certain paranormal experiences that occurred to people which they figured out later was at the exact same time as when Treya was dying. And one of them was of someone who'd only met Treya once. And yet this person had had an experience and felt the need to write to Ken to say what they had experienced. And it all is, well, it is all very well... There's no, there's no other way around it. There's no, in, in these situations, you can't, ph- philosophy breaks down, psychology breaks down, explanations break down. And you just have to say, look, there are some paranormal things in this world that we don't understand. And it doesn't matter about belief or what we make of it. Really, we don't make anything of it. And yet, to realize that there has been someone as beautiful as Treya alive in this world, well, that is the magic and the gift that she gives. And if you've been listening along, well, you've heard me talk about Treya. You've been listening to this story. And you can get a sense of what she was like. Can you get a feeling of what this woman had? What sort of virtue she had? What sort of consciousness she had? Can you see that now, well, she is a benevolent force? And that is one of the qualities of the enlightened goddess this actually comes back to the episode where we were talking about feminism what does the mother do well the mother gives care and love to the child without wanting anything in return the child has no idea what the mother is doing for it the child has no way of appreciating the mother And yet it's out of love, it's out of care that the mother does what the mother does for the child. And that's what it means to be a benevolent force. And now, well, now we know the character of Treya. We know the story of Treya. We know something of the essence of Treya. And that is, well, something beautiful to have as a part of us. And now imagine, just just imagine what, what it's like for someone to say to you, just think of Treya. Just think of Treya. Just think of what she was like.
And what you get in that moment when you really think about her, well, that's a whisper of her essence. And the story ends with Ken realising that when Treya was saying again and again, you promised to come and see me, you promised to come and find me again, you promise, you promise, don't you? He realises that it wasn't for him to take care of her. It wasn't because he had to be with her. No, it was because she was dissolving into spirit and he also had to dissolve into spirit, to dissolve into Godhead. And so now with Treya's death, finding Treya collapsed into the same as finding God. And that was her gift to Ken. And that is her gift to us. And this is an example of the ultimate worst thing being turned into the ultimate good thing. Your wife has cancer. How do we turn that into a spiritual practice? And now, well, your wife has died of cancer. So how do we turn that into spiritual realization? And there really is nothing worse than having such a beautiful woman in such a beautiful love relationship. A love story for the ages. A match made in heaven. As corny as that sounds, they really are meant to be together. And how terrible it is that now they're torn apart. And yet they're not torn apart. That negative, that darkness, has come out as something truly beautiful, truly extraordinary. It's come out as the lesson of a lifetime. It's come out as a wisdom that Ken will carry with him for the rest of his life. It's turned out to be the most extraordinary lessons of the soul and the extraordinary realization of spirit. Now to finish this series, I'm going to read a poem which Treya wrote, and she wrote this over a decade before she died, and a few things I'll say before I read it is that 
Well, so much of what was said about Treya and her dying was to do with the wind. It was to do with the wind blowing and howling, not just in the town where she died at that time, but also the essence of what people were saying. And also, well, the other theme that comes up is the theme of the star. And there is also the story of the butterfly as a metaphor of the soul transcending. So when a butterfly, when a, when a worm goes into its cocoon, it has its moment of transformation and then it comes out as a butterfly and flies on in a new form. And there are many texts, well, there are a few texts, but there are many texts which use the story of the butterfly as a metaphor for the stages of soul transcendence. And the chrysalis is, well, that's the thing that the butterfly is in as it transcends. That's the cocoon that it comes out of. So with the star theme the wind theme and the soul as portrayed in the metaphor of a butterfly. In mind, I'm going to read this poem which Treya wrote. So here goes. Dazed, uncertain, hesitating, wings still damp, bent, unfolded. As if still moulded by darkness, change, confusion, bound still in the emptied chrysalis. The air stirs, I tremble, I feel still within that mould. Shaped by a form I now vaguely sense is hollow, empty, spent, its work complete. I only need to move, one step, another, tentative, and wait. Feel the air dry this strange new form. Watch tissue Thin patterns of gold, black, orange unfold into readiness, unfurl into openness. As the air takes me, lifts me up into surprise. I know not what to do, yet giddy with instinct, throw myself out, caught by a current unseen, swoop low, glide high, dive into surrender. A chrysalis stands now empty, drying in the sun, constraints forgotten by the life once served. One day, perhaps, a child will come will ask its mother, 
What strange creature one day lived in such a tiny home 